Well, the UK was glued for hours to the Queen's funeral and procession today, so not much going on there. But there was very little in the way of data as well, so not much to influence markets there. But bond yields continue to rise as we wait for the Fed and the Bank of England, other central banks too this week. So how high are they pushing? Paul Volcker's book was called Keeping At It, and that seems to be the theme for the Fed right now, Keeping Right At It. It's Tuesday, the 20th of September, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, not much movement in the US dollar on the DXY index overnight. In fact, it was a really quiet night, and the only real movement was the uh, fact that the US dollar was up 0.2% against the Japanese yen and up 0.3% against the Korean won. You know, we're, we're really clutching at straws when we start talking about the Korean won, aren't we? Uh, but uh, it was also, the US dollar was also up quite a bit, half a percent up on the uh, on the New Zealand dollar. So we'll look at that as well today. Stocks moved down in the United States, but then had a last-minute rally, which saw the the Dow up 0.6%, the S&P up 0.7%, the Nasdaq up 0.8%. Markets were closed in the UK, but in Europe, the DAX managed to climb half a percent overnight. And just when you thought they couldn't get any higher, bond yields continue to move upwards, up four basis points for 10-year treasuries in the US. But two years are up seven basis points, getting very close to 4% today, less than three basis points from it earlier in the session. In Germany, 10-year bonds are up five basis points. The same in France. Yields uh, on two-year bonds are up nine basis points points, up over 1.61% now. You've got to go back a long way, more than a decade, to see it above those sorts of levels for any period of time. Aussie 10-year yields fell four basis points yesterday, down to 3.67%, but up five basis points on futures since then. And oil on the climb today. WTI is up just 0.2%. Brent is up 0.4%. They were uh, up higher than that earlier. Brent now at 91.70 a barrel, but falling a little as we record this. Sally Old is with us today from uh, JB Weir in Sydney. I have to say Hey, Sally, uh, we've been doing this podcast for six years. This has got to be one of the quietest days we've seen. But of course, the UK is on holiday. The US is really waiting for the Fed. But bond yields in the US at the front end still on the up, a new multi-year high. So that tells us something, doesn't it? That's right. I think it's telling us the market's a little bit nervous about what might happen later this week as we move closer to some big central bank meetings from Bank of England um, and the Fed in particular. Um, and so when we look at what the front end is, is starting to price in, you know, both in the UK and the US, um, it's pr- pricing in, you know, a rate hike of 80 basis points in both markets. So markets basically saying definitely think those central banks are, are going to go by 75 basis points. Um, and there's some chance that they actually might go by more than that. Um, and, and so I suspect given that the sort of nervousness and the hawkish rhetoric we've seen from central banks of like um, in the context of, you know, upside surprises on inflation. Uh, this is probably why, you know, front-end bond yields are, are lifting. Yeah, so 100, but I mean, the markets would be unnerved though, wouldn't they? If, I mean, if they did go, you know, in, in if the, the Fed went the full Volcker and uh, went, for, went for that 100. Uh, I mean, no wonder we're seeing a very choppy share market. I mean, they are as nervous as hell about this. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, what, what's interesting is that, you know, we're not at the beginning of tightening cycles. You know, if we look at, at a number of central banks, you know, they've, they've lifted rates by somewhere close to 300 basis mm. points over a very short period of time. And so to be still contemplating, you know, that, that the Fed could possibly go by 100 basis points at this point in the tightening cycle, I think really underscores, you know, how central banks have been wrong-footed by the inflation trajectory, um, but also, you know, I think how worried they are about the inflation story. Um, and so, you know, yet again, it's just a, another sort of set of quite unique circumstances um, that we've seen all the way along in this cycle. 
whether it's how quickly yeah. economies re- rebounded from COVID or, you know, the, the sort of rapidness of the rise of inflation. Um, but I think what's interesting, and, and this is probably a really important distinction, is what we're seeing at the moment in the inflation numbers is headline inflation starting to moderate a little bit as that decline in commodity prices starts to come through into the official numbers. But what's not playing um, just script is what's going on with core inflation and that continues to to lift and this is the thing that will worry central banks because it's the core that really reflects the persistence or otherwise of inflation so the fact that that um, series is is sort of yet to peak and and turn around i think probably underscores why central banks are are, are still going to be reasonably aggressive well we get canada's inflation numbers don't we later on uh, the headline there is expected to fall but as you say you know fuel costs have fallen so but but they that month on month uh, it's slowed in june and july there's an expectation it's actually going to fall not only the rate is going to fall but actually prices might go into negative uh, territory uh, in Canada, I mean, it would be a real problem if that core rate was went up in Canada when they are quite a way down the path. Absolutely. So they would be one of those central banks that exactly fits that bill. So they've lifted uh, their cash rate about three hundred basis points, and they actually did do the Volcker. They did the hundred basis point rate rise uh, a couple of yeah. months ago. But uh, yeah, you're right. So the expectation or the consensus is that headline inflation will actually dip a bit in the month, but that'll still leave the annual rate, you know, in the low sevens for headline inflation. And for core, they, they run three measures of core inflation, but if we average them out, um, they're expected to, to sort of settle in the low five. So it's still telling us that, um, you know, those inflationary pressures are, are, are pretty dominant. Um, and this is why central banks, I think, are some way from from really taking their, their, their foot off the throat when it comes to, to rate rises. The Bank of England, uh, 75 basis points would be bad enough. Going to 100 uh, in the climate that they have right now, a new government, a uh, a new chancellor who's about to make a statement about how they're going to handle the, uh, the the fuel crisis, cost of living crisis there. Uh, politically, that would be very damaging, I think, if they went for the full hundred. I, I, I'd imagine for that reason alone, they're going to shy away from it, surely. Potentially. I mean, there's quite a lot going on in the UK at the moment, um, you know, on, on the economic yeah. front, because the new government has come in and, and obviously um, have provided, you know, a reasonably generous fiscal package around energy. There's also a lot of talk around tax cuts as well. So there's a fair bit of fiscal stimulus going into the economy um, at the moment. At the precise time, um, you know, the central bank is actually trying to deal with an inflation problem of, of some significance. And so, you know, what we've actually seen in the UK is economists cut their inflation forecast because at the margin, they're a little less worried about the impact of high energy prices. Um, and lift their growth forecasts um, because they acknowledge that households are going to get more support from lower taxes and uh, the price caps on energy. So that's a good thing for household disposable income. Um, and then the question is, well, where does that leave the Bank of England, England um, you know, who, who are still facing into a, a material inflation problem? Um, and I think what that tells you is, you know, they've just got to keep going, especially given some of the labour market data of late in the UK um, have been super strong as well. And I you know, all of this, to me, I think, speaks to a world in which central banks are, are starting to become a little bit more explicit about saying to us, you know, as we heard Jay Powell say at Jackson Hole, we are very mindful of not making the mistake of easing too early. Yeah. 
I think what that tells you is that they are more prepared to make the mistake of taking rates too high for too long. Um, and I think we you don't have to sort of stretch too far to know what the implication of that mistake right. might be. And recession, if it's necessary, so be it. Seems to be the attitude now, doesn't it? Just about just about everywhere, which is why the share market, again, is uh, is so volatile right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I think, you know, we're, we're sort of starting to get a little bit more... Um, transparency into the way the central banks are thinking about this and and I'll, you know I'll, often you'll hear central banks talk about the policy of least regret so if we're going to make a mistake which one would we prefer to make and at the moment I think that the choice for central banks is pretty stark they can either push the economy into recession or they can either not tighten enough and risk inflation not coming back to target inflation expectations mm. getting unanchored and I think faced with that choice, which is not a great choice for any central bank, um, I think the mistake they would prefer to make is is the recession one. And so this yeah. is being priced in by the by the stock market, where you know I think we had that nice little rally through through July and and early August, um, and that seems to have reversed pretty quickly as markets are starting to understand you know the the sort of quite difficult choices facing central banks. Yeah, a bit of a last-minute rally today, but uh, really last-minute. So let's look at housing, because, I mean, there wasn't a lot of data overnight. Uh, and yesterday we had the NAHH, NAHB Housing Index in the United States, which is down a bit from 49 to 46, but it's way down from the 84 that we're seeing in December. But, of course, you know, very different times then. We didn't see inflation as such a big issue. We didn't expect inflation uh, interest rates to get so high. Uh, but housing is an issue in Australia as well, of course. Uh, although, you know, we are just retracing prices that have risen so much since uh, since COVID, aren't we? But uh, expect more. That seems to be the message from the RBA yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. So we had a speech by Jonathan Kearns, who's a, a senior official at the RBA, and, and his wheelhouse is, is really financial stability. So he gave a speech talking about uh, the impact of interest rates on on property prices, both in the residential sector and the commercial sector. And, and you know, no surprises as rates go up, property valuations tend to tend to come down. Um, but that's part of the, the channel through which monetary policy works in the sense that as house prices correct lower, households feel less wealthy, they rein in consumption, mm. aggregate demand slows, and, and hopefully that helps to bring inflation back to levels that are more consistent um, with the target. So, you know, I don't think there was anything in that speech that, that surprised the market, but, um, you know, we're already starting to see a meaningful correction in house prices. I think in Sydney, they're down about 7 to 8% from, from peaks, um, a little bit lower um, in Melbourne, um, but this is all part of the process. And as you say, we're coming off a period where house prices right across the country, um, you know, had a huge leap um, through those couple of years associated with the pandemic. So, um, you know, even if house prices come off sort of 15 to 20%, it sort of just takes us back to, to really where we were when yeah. the pandemic um, got going. Yeah, and if it's, as you say, if it subdues demand and therefore it keeps inflation in check, then that that, that is obviously a, a better result than having to see interest rates rise quite so dramatically as we've been seeing in many other parts of the world. So what about, uh, let's look at currencies very quickly. Uh, obviously, a still a very strong US dollar. Uh, the, the Aussie dollar managed to climb a little against it. It's about 67.20 now. But we had this half percent fall in the New Zealand dollar, which is now below 60. And yet, you know, here we have a country that has gone hard early and yet is taking a, a hit with its currency. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, the Kiwi tends not to spend a lot of time below 60 cents. And, and when it does, it's um, usually because the, the global economy is in recession. So it may yet be another one of these indicators that's starting to tell us that um, mm. That's the direction of, of travel for the global economy, particularly when yesterday, you know, we had actually a, a piece of decent data out of New Zealand. The, the uh, services PMI was actually much stronger than expected. 
Um, but I think we're sort of in a world where the stronger the data, the more the central bank is just going to keep going. Um, and Kiwi tends to be, I think, one of those currencies, and it tends to be an economy that that does, um, you know, really traverse the ups and downs of the economic cycle. So when things are, are great, they're really great, and and when things are, are bad, they're they're pretty dreadful. Um, and so I suspect, you know, the Kiwi dollar is is probably pricing in um, a little bit of that. But it has seen Aussie Kiwi, you know, up near that one thirteen level. So the cross continues to to perform pretty well. And uh, despite the currency fix in China, we're still seeing the yuan falling, still at the seven level. Uh, Chinese shares are falling as well. It's not an optimistic picture, is it, in China at the moment? So obviously that's not good news for Australia or, or emerging markets uh, generally. Yeah, that's right. Although I, I do think there are you know quite a few China-specific things driving that. So so clearly there's a huge difference between monetary policy settings between you know China and the US, um, and that's probably you know I think you know, the main driver of, of currency weakness for China. Um, mm. They'd had some better data, you know, partial data last week. But I think given, you know, what we know about the, the impact of the zero COVID policy of late and, and some quite big sort of lockdowns continuing, um, I think the market is is sort of really continuing to lower its sights on, on Chinese economic growth. Um, and that's reflected in in a weaker currency. So, you know, this is interesting, I think, for Australia, as you said, you know, there are biggest trading partner. Um, and, and what's interesting about all of this is that, you know, we are heading into, you know, a much weaker period for global growth. And this is going to be a period in which, you know, we can't rely on the Chinese to uh, boost their economy and therefore put a floor under under global economic growth. And that's quite a, a different dynamic, I think, to, to what we've seen in previous um, global economic slowdowns. So mm. not surprising that, that the, the, the Chinese currency continues to, to drift lower versus the dollar. Well, it's a similar story in Japan, of course, but we get there. What is different is, I mean, we get their CPI today, which is expected to rise. I mean, if we really start to see inflation kicking in in Japan, and part of that of course will be uh, you know inflation because of, uh, of import prices i mean th- that means the bank of japan at some point is going to have to change their approach doesn't it <laughs> well you you would think so i mean they do stick out like a sore thumb at the moment um you know in, in a world where every other central bank is trying to sort of outdo each other um in terms of rate hikes the, the bank of japan has been resolutely dovish um with officials just signaling no desire to really want to change um, you know, what really is a, a hugely accommodating setting of, of monetary policy. So we'll see what the, the inflation numbers do later today. Um, as you said, they're expected to tick up a little bit. But um, at the moment, you know, expectations are that the, the Bank of Japan is going to stay steadfastly stubborn and, and, you know, continue on with very dovish monetary policy, which is why, you know, people think that the yen can continue to underperform versus the US dollar, despite, um, you know, quite a significant weakening so far this year. Interesting case study. Uh, that's for sure. Look, there we are. Uh, there's much more action tomorrow. Not a lot going on today, but we still managed to talk about it, uh, so, which is p- part of what it's like being on this uh, on this podcast. You, you've, you've done very well. You've joined the team in managing to fill 14 minutes on a day where very little happens. So I appreciate that. And we'll, <laughs> we'll catch you again very soon. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Phil. Thank you. And that's Sally Old on the morning call. And I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning for another one. I'll see you then. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. 